0: Hello, and welcome to Telling Everybody Everything. I can't help telling everybody everything. I wish I could. I can't. And uh, oh, I was thinking a lot about what's happening to comedy lately. It really blows my mind. Um, let me start by bringing it back to The Duchess on Netflix. When I released uh, the sitcom that I wrote, mostly all by myself but with notes and steers from the production company and Netflix. I wanted to make a comedy that was just a comedy. I'd never seen a woman acting the way, you know, Kenny fucking Powers acts and Eastbound and Down. I didn't want her to be filled with rage necessarily, but I just wanted her to be full of jokes, lots of one-liners in there, kind of roast comedy style, but also someone who just didn't give a fuck. Someone who was like, I don't, fuck you, motherfucker. Like, she and her ex would talk to each other like that. She was a bad person in many cases, in many instances throughout the series, specifically in dealing with an adoption agent. The adoption agent rejects her because of her lifestyle and everything else, and it's such a hot-button issue for her that she flies off the handle, and she's like, well, I didn't want a baby anyway, I don't want adoption as this and that, and these are crack babies. She says all the most offensive stuff. I don't believe those things to be true, but I know that there is a narrative that exists that she would draw from. She'd jump on the very well-worn route of, well, it was my last resort anyway. I, I don't want that. Um, you're not supposed to sympathize with her in this scene. You're supposed to look at her and be like, oh, well, she's lost it. Obviously, she doesn't mean anything that she's saying. It is um, ironic exposition of a position. You know, You're supposed to look at her and go, bad, 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 bad. So anyway, there were lots of moments like that in "The Duchess," where uh, there's ironic exposition of a position. There's a guy. He is a, an amazing, a very, very accomplished TV critic. He is Variety's chief TV critic. He produces reviews, features, interviews and segments for a podcast and a magazine. He was a television critic for time, and he went to. Columbia University. He lives in Brooklyn. He wrote the most scathing review that didn't bother me. I actually thought it was hilarious because it was like, Netflix punishes me with six half hours of this crap. It's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And he goes on to launch very personal attacks as though I am that character, like Catherine Ryan herself believes that adoption's bad. He talked about his own life. He's like, I have adopted a baby. Does Catherine Ryan think my baby's a piece of trash? I was like, no. The character was literally trying to adopt a baby because, or, or any child because that's a, a wonderful, honorable thing to do. And there are children who need Uh, families or any shape of a family that you can offer them. It's It's a wonder. I don't even think people should breed dogs. I think that there are lots of souls in the world in need of love. And it breaks my heart every day that they don't get the love that they are deserving, especially after I had Fred. Oh my God. Looking at that baby boy and knowing how much attention and effort and affection he requires to stay happy. I think I had like a solid meltdown for a month just being like, oh, my God, there are so many babies who are not receiving this. They're just not because it's too hard. Bobby and I working full throttle, full time to keep that baby happy. And sometimes he still cries. How many babies are being left in their cot? You know what I mean? It's a whole thing. So that's my position but this character was kind of a bad guy. So he wrote all this stuff and, and really inserted a lot of his own life into the review, spoiled the ending, was just like, she did this. She said that to a black person. She was not woke at all. She did all these things. It was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, you know, people are entitled to feel that way about my work. And it It really uh, highlighted for me why I don't care. Uh, An article came out that was retweeted into my timeline the other day about the Che Diaz stand-up comedy character in the Sex and City reboot, just like that, and just like that, whatever they've called it. Just call it Sex and City reboot. I can't even remember the new name. If you've watched this series, and you know what? It grew on me. The fashion was on point from the beginning. I hope they make more. But it is the most, uh, in my opinion, and again, These are all opinions. Did I go to Columbia University? Do I have uh, experience as a critic for Time Magazine? No, I don't. But as a fan of the show, I feel like it's really lost its way in its tone. Carrie no longer narrates. All of a sudden, it's so, so, so super woke. The women call themselves old every five seconds, so I mean ageism's not on the agenda, but they're like, oh, what gender are we dealing with now? Oh, well, I'm not sure about my sexuality. And that's cool, but they do it kind of ham-fistedly for me, and it feels very contrived, like a network told them to put it in, or they're trying to do an impression of what they believe TV should be now. And that's fine, but it changes the genre of what that show was. I think, and you know, of course, we evolve. Ugh. The Che Diaz character, in particular, is a non-binary comedian podcast host. The actor is also non-binary in their own life, and I know that we're using a lot of demographics to play those demographics. You know, like if if you have um, a character who's Asian, you're not gonna have that played by Scarlett Johansson as much as she would like to be in that role. If you have a character who uses a wheelchair, you're not gonna have someone who has full, you know, able-bodiedness in that role. But she's not a stand-up comedian. They, used to be she, that's my mistake. I'm gonna keep it in because we make mistakes and we don't do it maliciously. They, they are not a stand-up comedian, they are an actor. And we're still allowed to cast actors in roles as stand-up comedians, fine. But, because, you know, stand up comedians, not an oppressed demographic, but there are several stand up sets throughout. And just like that, the Sex and the City reboot that have zero jokes in them. They're just Che Diaz stood on a stage shouting affirmations. You you can do it. The energy is within you. Let's stay together. Oh, have I fucked anyone in this room? Would anyone like to fuck me? It's a weird characterization that has upset. I mean, in a joking way, upset. A lot of stand-ups, they're like, "How? who wrote this? What is their idea of comedy? It's just an absolute mess. Bobby and I got into this series by hate watching it. And Che Diaz has antagonized me beyond belief. And I worry about comedy sometimes. I go, Gosh, I've been guilty of this Che Diaz stuff once in a while where I stand there and I say what I believe, but then with no punchline. And you have to have punchlines. But then I've also seen the new generation of comedian who they have a different style and there's a lot of dialogue that's more subtle and storytelling. And I love that as well. Some of my favorite comedians are non-binary and they don't do the classic joke set up, punchline necessarily. I think they're so 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 funny. But this Che Diaz thing, there there's just no comedy anywhere. Now, the reason I bring it up is because this reviewer who hates me wrote about Che Diaz, the character, and it popped into my timeline and I read it without knowing it was the same reviewer, author. And I just thought, what? Oh my God, I am so happy he hates me because here's what he thinks about Che Diaz. Why Che Diaz was such a successful addition to And Just Like That. No, no. And you know, it's nuanced what he says about Che Diaz and uh, acknowledges that the character is a bit of a narcissist and all these things and enters the universe clumsily. But Che is, to my eye, a very carefully and thoughtfully drawn and acted depiction Of a self-declared narcissist, a personality type thick on the ground in the worlds of comedy and podcasting. This places Che within the franchise's long history of New York City archetypes. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Nothing redeemable about Che Diaz. Che Diaz is a warning to comedians everywhere that this could be the future of comedy. I'm all for wokeness. I'm all for, I mean, whatever you want to call wokeness. Do you know what I mean? Progressive attitudes is my personal definition of what wokeness should be. But then sometimes it just goes to a place where, what are we even doing anymore? Why is Che Diaz allowed to stand there and be like, anyone fuck me? Would anyone like to fuck me? Who has I fucked in this room? I'll be fucking everyone else. Like it's, um, it feels like an old, tiny version of what a bad, uh, Classically straight white male comedian would have been and there's no twist on that There's no irony because there's no punchline and by the way, I don't hate this reviewer I think he's doing what he's got to do for clicks And he does acknowledge that he would not go to see che diaz's stand-up if it existed Which obviously it does not in real life and that che diaz gives miranda new notes to play But I just felt as soon as I saw that in my timeline That there was anything redeemable being said about che. I just thought no and then News came out that my good friend and mentor, Jimmy Carr, was facing a lot of backlash over his most recent Netflix special, Now. A lot of people have been asking me to comment on this, and I'm sure that I'll be asked in the future, why haven't I commented up until now is because ah, sometimes you gotta wait for the dust to settle on these things. Also, I think it happened on a Friday. My podcast comes out on a Wednesday. I don't feel like social media is necessarily the place. Several people have taken to social media to talk about this, and it really grinds my gears when comedians want to pick apart Jimmy Carr's joke writing, especially new comedians who feel like they have the authority to say, well, in my 36 months of being a professional stand-up comedian in a pandemic when there haven't been any gigs, so how the fuck did you even do that? Have you ever done a tour? Could you sell enough tickets to fill your living room? Even I'm not in a position to comment on Jimmy Carr's specific joke writing, which is why I don't think we should discuss the joke itself because it could have been any joke from the Jimmy Carr dark material special. That's the whole point that it's a genre of roast comedy, ironic exposition of positions, sarcasm. These are not, none of the jokes are the way that Jimmy actually feels, either you are offended by all of it or none of it. It's not called Jimmy Carr's list of true beliefs that he holds dear. It's the rule of three. It's truth, truth, lie. Set something up, play with language to spin it around and surprise people. And that is a style of misdirectional roast comedy that, you know, some people are gonna disagree with and I'm not telling any community how they should feel about a specific joke that doesn't impact my community. But when the government wanna get involved and condemn joke writing or joke telling, while they actually hold very dangerous beliefs and they do really dangerous actions, they've effectively made it illegal to even be from the traveler community. And then someone like Sajid David wants to say, Uh, what you should do is not watch Jimmy Carr or listen to him. Really? That man, if you don't know, is more of a Thatcherite than Margaret Thatcher, who in the 80s totally decimated traveler life with changes to legislation in the Public Order Act of 1986, like would send in convoys of police to move them on. He is such a fanboy of Margaret Thatcher. I heard this might not be true. I heard he turned up at like 7 a.m. to get front row seats for her final speech. He loved is Margaret Thatcher. okay? don't condemn Jimmy Carr for telling a joke. Condemn Margaret Thatcher for actually causing real harm to this community and so many other communities. When Boris Johnson's spokesperson wants to be like, oh, yes, you know, we really don't think it's cool. Okay, Boris Johnson, because you and Piri Patel have made it clear time and time again that you want to make GRT lives effectively illegal. The conservative manifesto says, We will tackle unauthorized traveler camps. We'll give the police new powers to arrest and seize the property and vehicles of trespassers who set up unauthorized encampments in order to protect our communities. We will make intentional trespass a criminal offense. In addition to that, TV networks, for as long as I have been here, and I've been watching TV here for 15 years, they've taken a small minority of these families and communities and made entertainment, uh, basically making fun of them with the most extreme cases, it'll be violent cases, it'll be this and that, just vilifying communities with shows like Big Fat Gypsy This, Big Fat Gypsy That. Those programs aren't joking. The government aren't joking when they add this kind of legislation that impacts these communities adversely. I just think generally speaking, it's so important to draw a line, a distinction between what is sarcasm, what is a joke, and what is actual danger. Again, I don't want to explain joke writing or joke telling or how to receive a joke to anyone, but I can assure you that people in that theater were not laughing because they agree. So they were literally laughing because they don't agree. They wholeheartedly don't agree. Jimmy has a reputation for saying the unsayable. His tour is called Terribly Funny. In the context of Jimmy Carr telling a joke, you're supposed to understand if you're buying a ticket to his show or you're putting on his special, which was watched, by the way, by 2 million people in six days. It was the most watched special of 2021. They subscribe to the conceit of what this comedian does and has done for a long time. There might be new comedians, or comedians who you know you haven't heard of, who actually hold harmful views. And you can tell, you can understand the difference. And you have to, I don't understand why context is not being applied to this. And there have been people who've tried to stick up for Jimmy and they've said, well, you know, I appreciate what he does, but I wouldn't personally tell the joke. Well, no, you wouldn't. It'd be fucking out of place on House of Games, wouldn't it? I mean, I don't know if Richard Osmond is an example of someone who said that, but all these entertainers with other shows. No, no, you wouldn't tell that joke. You wouldn't because it, in context of what you do, it would make absolutely no sense. It would be baffling. I thought that there was enough established trust from a comedian who is known for going on all the Comedy Central roast battles in America and beyond for doing this type of comedy on a real famous national level that he really doesn't mean it. And, and I know that even still people say, well, even if he doesn't mean it, I don't want to hear that. Okay, but then you are discussing not one joke, but a whole genre of comedy. Be offended by all of it or none of it. And I just feel from my perspective alone that it's so important to distinguish between harmful statements, hate speech, uh, legislative attacks on communities and comedy. And the last thing that we need is more legislation. People say, well, you should actually be prosecuted. Great. Because let's leave free speech in the hands of the people who are doing everything that they can to dismantle it. While I'm swiftly canceled, please listen to these beautiful words from our remaining sponsors. Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. The first email: Hi, Catherine. I recently had a baby. Congratulations! And I asked my family not to kiss my baby on her lips due to the risk of spreading infection viruses. The vid. A few members of my family have lip herpes. Of course they do. My family were not happy about this. They asked, How long would this be for? Forever? I said, Yes. Kiss her on the cheek when she's older or give hugs. Recently, some family members have started kissing my now 10 month old baby on the lips again, and I feel the need to confront them. Do you think I'm being too strict? Should I let them kiss my baby on the lips now she's older? Myself and my partner do kiss our baby on the lips, but I feel extended families should kiss on the cheeks or hug to show affection instead. What do you think? Well, let me take you a step further. I wouldn't even want them kissing my baby on the cheeks. Whatever you want with your baby until your baby's old enough to consent or give their opinion about how they wish to receive affection should be respected. If you're like, don't look my baby directly in the eye, then I don't think anyone should. Don't kiss my baby on the mouth. Fuck no. I don't want people kissing Fred. And sometimes we leave him with a babysitter, and it was a bit of a delicate conversation. But I used COVID to my full advantage, and I said, due to the ongoing pandemic, which I'm not actually scared of in my own home, but in this conversation, I said, due to the ongoing pandemic, do not show the children affection physically at all. No hugs, don't even kiss them. Yes, you have to carry the baby around, but this babysitter was hugging Violet from time to time, and she didn't like it. So I had to say, do not kiss my children. And family, I think babies' kisses on the lips especially are like really wet and sloppy. I don't know how I'd feel about it, but look, if you have been clear about how you feel about it and it's not being respected, assert yourself again. No, don't kiss my baby on the lips. Anyone who kisses the baby on the lips gets their tit and or testicle grabbed. I've enlisted Bobby K., a fan favorite of Telling Everybody Everything, and he is wearing Fred, so I apologize for any screams uh, or yelling you may hear. He basically yells at us all day, don't you, Fred? He's not sad. He just likes to scream. I feel like Bobby is best to answer this email. Catherine, hello. I'm a huge fan of your work. Yeah, I'm a 23-year-old female. I'm very happy with life, and I have an amazing career going that I'm very proud of. I have not dated much. The longest I've gone out with someone is three weeks. Tends to be a few and far between. Oh, dates tend to be few and far between. Most of the time, I'm okay with that. As an introvert, dating doesn't appeal that much. (laughs) However, yes, Fred, there's always a however. Recently, I've been feeling as though I'm invisible to men. I've never been approached, flirted with, or had any attention paid to me by a man. I'm decent looking, so it can't be because I'm not. I know women don't have to have attention paid to them by men, and it is mostly unwanted, but it's making me feel completely invisible and undesirable. Even though I'm happy with myself, I just want to have that knowledge validated that someone besides me sees that I'm desirable in both personality and looks. But as a feminist, is this a terrible thought to have? I'd probably be freaked out and run away the second any man paid me any attention, but I can't shake this thought. I would really appreciate your opinion and advice. Mm. Bobby, do you need some time to think? Shall I go first, or would you like to take this one? Oh, Fred, I know. You go first, Mama. Fred is a woke, young, young man, and he says... I'll tell them, Fred. He says, well, we can't risk giving a lady any of our attention in case it's unwanted, and we get called an abuser. And that's why I always make sure to have a written contract. I don't want to objectify anyone, and... And get the wrong end of things, so I just stay quiet, actually, to protect myself. So if guys like me aren't giving you attention, uh huh, I'm telling, I'm telling them. Then I think it's nothing to do with you, really, and more to do with uh, how society has eroded from how it used to be between uh, heterosexual genders. It's different now, and we don't feel like we can tell you you're pretty. Thanks for that, Fred. Um, what do you think, Bobby? <laughs> uh, I mean, Fred's pretty close. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's just, it's tough to not put yourself out there, make yourself vulnerable, and then also try and get attention, just, you know. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? exactly. Because no, we don't want to be harassed in a bar, but equally, (coughs) when you and I got together, I couldn't believe that you weren't kissing me. I was like, what is happening? And it's because I wasn't part of the dating scene, I think, so I didn't really know how men behaved, and you work well I when I grew up like as a teen 20s you know I was certainly a lot more I wasn't even never that forward but it's hard to be very forward (laughs) right now unless some people are behind a screen so if it's real life I don't think people come up to you as much as we did when we were that age yeah um but as far as trying to increase that the only way is through you know online and then being more outgoing yourself even though it's tough because you mentioned that you're an introvert um yeah I think it's not easy yeah these men are maybe more introverted and rightly so they do not want to be labeled as um too aggressive or in in uh, extreme cases sex abusers or perverts or sex pests whatever we want to call them and that's not necessarily a bad thing i'm glad there are fewer sex pests and uh hopefully fewer people getting unwanted attention in bars but this does have the knock-on effect of now you feel undesirable i think Get yourself on social media uh, or, like, these dating sites. Get yourself out there. You make the first move, and you'll see how hard it is. If you make the first move, I think you'd see a lot of uh, results because that age demographic is very challenging right now, I think, for men to come on to women. And they don't even know if you do identify as a woman or if you're straight. Like, there are lots of questions to have. Um, So you've got to make it clear now, I think. And I don't envy you. I didn't have to do anything but turn up in a lingerie at the Playboy Mansion. This e does this all day. Fred has been fired from a podcast you'd be probably happy to know and I'm moving on to another letter. I was stalked and harassed by a colleague last year, Catherine, a teacher. I reported it to my seniors but the boys club tried to silence it. So I carried on and I eventually became really unwell from the stress and developed an autoimmune disease. After 18 months, a life-changing diagnosis and a team of incredible women, I finally got in writing that I was being harassed and stalked. He kept his senior leadership position and bought a Tesla. I'm now piecing my experiences together and sadly acknowledging that this story is one of so many. I have a real urge to tell it, to dramatize it, to warn, to teach, to connect, to find some light in female resilience, and remind audiences that despite toxic misogyny, women can still laugh and cry and thrive." There's a lot I want to talk about and write about, not just my own story. I'd love to write a pilot episode, but I'm unfortunately completely clueless and networkless. Poor me. I would love any direction or advice. Do you know, I have a friend who is trying to get a book published at the minute. And she asks me, you know, actually, she said, everyone seems to have a book published these days. And I was like, uh, what? Not everyone. Like, it was actually quite hard for me to do. It took 15 years minimum of stand-up. And finally, I've released one book and I'm well-known and I have a huge social media following. You know, I had all these things. I don't really think I fall into the category of everyone has a book. It's hard. It's hard to get anything commissioned, looked at. It's hard to get it off the ground. Though, I do think that there are a lot of avenues now to get noticed um, with your your work and your writing, especially when you have Such uh, an important story to tell that I know resonates with so many people. And I'm so sorry to hear about your experience. It just sounds awful, and I agree with you that it happens to so many. I do think that we are living in the age of the self-starter, self-publisher, self-producer. I'm seeing a lot of creators on TikTok and YouTube and everywhere else who have huge followings before they're ever picked up by a traditional producer or publisher. So I think that my advice to you would be to start an anonymous Instagram account or publish an anonymous blog, if that's how you wish to remain, and share these experiences. Start writing your work in maybe even a diary form. Um, You don't have to write the whole piece all at once. Just put your thoughts down almost episodically, I think. If you want to reveal your identity, I mean, that's all up to you. But you could even do a TikTok storyline of different elements of this story. Sit alone and write down what you want to say and then publish it like you would see it published like a sitcom or a movie in the end. Just do little snippets at a time. That currently is the advice that I would give to any creative person. And it's annoying because you think, oh, well. I don't want to do all that. I just want to send it to a publisher and get picked up. Or maybe you think, oh, I'm too old to do that. It's not my demographic to know about this stuff. But I think right now we all do have a responsibility to know about this stuff. And sure, you could write a log line or a treatment for this type of thing and send it to different production companies or publishers. You could do that. But in today's you know society of all this online stuff, I really do think that's the most successful way start a blog and be invested. My mom started her podcast Jewels says, J E W E L S says, and she started small and now she has something like 15,000 downloads. I think a lot of people are coming from this podcast. It's a great podcast. Start a podcast detailing your experiences episodically and those are proof of concepts. Anything you do like that really establishes your body of work. If it gets enough attention, then that's very attractive to any traditional publishing source to pick it up and to turn it into something different. We all have that ability. It's a real equalizer. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to know the right person. You just have to have a story to tell and a real talent for telling it. Any medium, we have uh, an opportunity now that people will find you. Oh, this one tugs at my North American heartstrings. It says, Catherine, I have always wondered about tipping in the UK. Waitresses and hairstylists and nail techs always seem like a grey area for me. I understand the cost of living in the US and their minimum wage does not leave a lot to survive on, so tipping in the States is necessary for some people to live. But in the UK, some people charge huge amounts for hairstyles and coloring, but still expect a tip? I'm a veterinary nurse, and I cannot afford to give away money to people who are earning more than I am. But I hate the feeling that I get when it comes to pay. Equally, servers in this country probably earn the same as me. So I guess my question is, am I the arsehole? I cannot afford to tip if I go out for food or when I need a haircut, so I don't. What's the alternative? How can I not be the arsehole? I really don't want you to think I'm a cheap-ass bitch. (laughs) A few years ago, after someone passed, I had some spare cash. I gave a young person on the streets 20 pounds when they asked for change. After someone, oh, I see. I was like, what? Someone passed? I thought you were at a funeral, but you just mean you got a payment because someone in your family put you in their will. Got it. And you gave 20 pounds of it away. Well, look, veterinary nurse, I'm going to do you one better, and I feel like we should be tipping you. You, I'm sorry that you don't earn enough in that very, very important job because our pets are beloved members of our families, and I'm sure that you have enough cat scratches to fill an entire podcast of stories about that, and you've saved lives, and I just don't understand payment structures in this country. The cost of living is higher than the national wage. And so there are lots of different professions where people are left at a loose end. I suppose tipping as well is cash. You aren't taxed on that. And it's just a nice little bonus way of saying thank you, even if you feel like maybe a hairstylist already earns enough. They have to pay rental to do hair in the salon, usually just kind of like an exotic dancer would do to dance in a strip club. Um, They have high overheads. They use a lot of product. I know hairdressers who are hairstylists, rather, who are on very tight margins as well. So it's that classic thing of the upper classes or like the government setting the tone for payment structures that, you know, things are too expensive. We don't earn enough money. Housing's expensive. I say we. I used to work in an office and I always ran out of money by the end of the month in living in the UK before I was blessed with this life. Um... So I get it, I remember, and it was really tough. And then we look at each other and we go, well, I'm not tipping this person. I can't afford to tip this person. It's all because we're not paying people enough from the start. So I think people like me, Should people who are of means, I don't think that we should necessarily be taxed even higher because we see where that tax money is going. We are taxed quite highly, by the way. And I used to feel happy paying that tax till I saw that it was being given to like Matt Hancock's best friend, the equestrian, to spend $3.7 billion on an app. Pounds. Um, I think that we should tip. If you feel like you have extra money, just like you did after that person died and you gave 20 pounds to the person on the street, tip. Tippity tip, I tip 40%. In the nail salon, in the hair salon, at a pub, at a restaurant. But maybe I need to start tipping my veterinary nurses too. And all my nurses at the hospital. Um, I just don't know if they would accept it. What do I do? I mean, can I tip the postman? I think that we need to normalize tipping, not get rid of it. And that way, everyone's getting tipped. We can pay it forward. And if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. I can't think of any other ways because you don't have to tell people your life story. Just make them a card or like knit them a trinket. You don't have to do that. I just think it should be an understood, unspoken rule that if you have it, give it. And if you don't, keep it. And meanwhile, we need to pay people way more because the cost of living in this country is fucking atrocious. Thank you ever so much for tuning in for another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. You can email me, tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. I'm trying to keep these to about 30 minutes, you know? I think it's a nice little snippet. Maybe you feel disappointed that I did not get to enough of the emails. There were loads of things flooding in in support of the autoimmune episode. So many of you do suffer from autoimmune disease, and I'm so sorry to hear that. I hope that the episode shone a little light also, a lot of very generous people giving me advice on how to deal with Fred's eczema. It's basically, I've been recommended every cream on the planet. Uh, so far, so good, though, if you're looking for an update. His eczema is currently 100% gone, and I'm dealing with a dietitian. I mean, dealing with, I'm speaking with a dietitian about how to wean him. Um, maybe I'll, t- I'll tell you more about weaning in an, in an episode of its own, but it's going really well. He's eating lots of peanut butter, almond butter. We have not yet introduced milk, cow's milk, but his face, his happy face looks so beautiful. He is thriving and screaming. And thank you. I hope you are looking after yourselves and each other. I'll see you soon.